Brethren, the story of a great recovery. Part 2 Scotland and Ireland Chapter 5 In the Scottish Capital In the recording of the work of the Holy Spirit relative to the formation of assemblies of Christian believers during a particular period of last century, one cannot fail to observe, in a considerable number of instances, the lack of documentary evidence as to when and where the first stone of a present-day thriving church was laid. To the historian whose sensitive mind has been trained along lines of authenticity and exactitude in the fixing of day and date, the absence of such records may present a difficulty. But brethren in earlier years, so it would seem, were more concerned about fundamental truths in the building up of a spiritual structure than of recording upon stone or parchment what to them appeared to be a non-essential. Thus in Edinburgh comparatively little is known of the early days of brethren, and although the original meeting place is said to have been in Bank Street, only a few fragmentary facts can be gathered as to the actual founding of the movement in the Scottish capital. As in other parts of Scotland about the time of which we write, the Holy Spirit had been preparing many hearts to receive a fresh enlightenment of the Scriptures. Pioneers had fearlessly proclaimed the truth, and the ground was being broken up for the time of sowing. Reports of what was taking place farther south had reached Edinburgh and were gladly received by a few with a prayerful desire for a fulfillment of the scriptural mode of assembling themselves together in the name of the Lord. Thus when the saintly Robert Mitchell came to Edinburgh sometime in the late 60s, he found quite a number of earnest Christians of like mind to himself, whose spiritual outlook had recently undergone a great change. Among the early leaders, and these included such stalwarts as Donald Ross, Albert Boswell, Henry Groves and Colin Campbell, Robert Mitchell was, in many ways, outstanding. An Ayrshire man, he had spent some years in England, where he was on terms of happy fellowship with Lord Congleton and other chief men among the brethren. He came to Edinburgh in order that he might study languages and otherwise prepare himself for missionary work in the foreign field. The Lord willed it otherwise. A severe illness supervened, and the life work of Robert Mitchell was mainly in the shepherding and building up of the Lord's people in the homeland. He was an old man as I remember him, writes Mr. Robert G. Mowat, who has kindly furnished the present writer with much of the information relating to the Edinburgh assemblies, and the years had mellowed his winsome character so that we young folks loved him for himself, while we revered him for his knowledge. He was, in the truest and best sense of the word, a saint simple yet profound, full of gracious dignity with a charming personality which divine love had rendered truly beautiful. Of him it could rightly be said that the radiance of the sanctuary glowed on his countenance and hallowed his speech, so that we who listened were hushed with the sense of the sacred presence, for he dwelt much in the secret place of the Most High. Robert Mitchell was a biblical scholar of considerable standing, and collaborated with Robert Young in the preparation of his monumental work, Young's Analytical Concordance. During his residence in England he formed one of that circle which included Dr. Maclean, Henry Groves, Lord Congleton and others who came together by arrangement to read and study missionary news and letters. As the circle grew and interest in the Lord's work in the foreign field increased, so there became a real need for a periodical containing reports from overseas, which might reach a wider community. And as we have already seen in a former chapter, in the year 1872 the missionary echo, forerunner of our missionary monthly Echoes of Service, was first published. The little company at Bank Street went on happily for some time. But it is not to be supposed that the archenemy of the church would remain inactive in the presence of such a spiritual renaissance in Edinburgh, without casting about in a subtle endeavor to break up the harmony of the young assembly, 
and it was not long before serious doctrinal trouble arose, and the meeting was divided. This naturally led to a corresponding loss of power and blessing over a considerable period, though we are thankful to be able to add that unity has now for some years been re-established. Soon after this a small hall at 16 Picardy Place was acquired, and another at Lochran Place, thus suiting the convenience of believers who had previously met at Jamaica Street, Melbourne Place and Greenside Place. From that time, writes Mr. Mowat, the work began to prosper. The meeting room at Picardy Place became a truly hallowed spot to many a soul who was one for the Lord there. With steady increase of numbers the hall was enlarged, and such was the spiritual vigor of believers that it seemed as though nothing could stay their enthusiasm as the work developed. There was a happy family feeling of fellowship, and all, both young and old, were on fire for souls. Thus the good work spread. At the seaport of Leith, a mile or two from the city, an assembly was established about this time. Henry Mowat and Ernest Jerry began the work in the Blackburn Hall there, Mr. Mowat remained for several years to give pastoral care until the infant assembly was built up, after which he returned to take his place in the Picardy Place meeting. Ernest Jerry was afterwards called to devote the whole of his time to the Lord's work, and became well known in many parts of the country as an evangelist. The activities of the various companies of believers in Edinburgh continued to bear fruit. The blessing spread to the nearby village of Davidson's Mains, and later to Portobello where, under the guidance of James Strayton, an assembly was formed. A feature of the Picardy Place Assembly, which was attended with much blessing, was the going forth of singing parties to carry the gospel in song and story to hospitals and other institutions. A zealous band, led by Henry Mowat, also engaged in a constant war of aggressive evangelism, not only in open-air services, but at various times small halls were engaged in needy districts of Edinburgh and Leith, where some wonderful cases of conversion were recorded. The assembly at Picardy Place had already removed to a larger hall, but even this became inadequate, and at the outbreak of the Great War when the German chapel in Rodney Street became vacant, this handsome and commodious building was acquired and was given the name of Bellevue Chapel. At Lochran Place there was also steady progress, and the assembly increased in numbers until its removal to the present hall in Lauriston Place, where the testimony continues. Since those almost forgotten days when the Lord so wonderfully came in, dispelling the cloud which had for so long overshadowed the path of His people, there has ever been present in the various assemblies that atmosphere of happy fellowship, which has in no small measure contributed to the remarkable development of the testimony in and around the historic Scottish capital. Lonehead, near Edinburgh. When Donald Ross visited Edinburgh in 1876, he carried his pioneer work to the districts lying within easy distance of the city. At the mining village of Rosewell, where his tent had been pitched, he was joined by John Scott, of Shrewsbury, and a remarkable work of grace followed. Here the evangelists were met with bitter opposition, the chief instigator being the local clergyman. On the first night of the meetings, the ropes were cut and the tent brought to the ground. This necessitated a watch being kept, and the evangelists were obliged to take turn about each night. Nevertheless, the Lord honored the faithfulness of his servants and when the tent was removed, those who had found the Savior met together under the care of Donald Ross to break bread. As all the suitable places in the village were in the hands of the enemy, the meeting was held in the workshop of a joiner, who, along with his wife and some members of his family, had been saved at the tent meetings. Thus they continued in happy fellowship for some time. Subsequently a number of the Christians removed to Bonnyrig and Pennequick, these places being a few miles from Rosewell in opposite directions, the result being that the meeting at Rosewell became extinct, 
while testimonies were raised in each of the two towns named. In the spring of 1889 the assembly at Bonnerig decided to remove their meeting place to Lone Head, about two miles distant, as nearly all those forming the assembly lived in that locality, and here they have continued to gather in his name. During recent years there has been a fresh testimony at Bonnerig, where a few believers gather to remember the Lord on the first day of the week.